Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Welcome back to the 19th Tea Podcast, Kieran Marsh and Nathan Drudy with you as always. Drudster, good to have your company. Very excited to be here, KM. Another exciting interview uh, coming our listeners' way. Now, we always talk about the fact and, and pride ourselves on the fact that we, we cover the game of golf from all angles. Isn't that right, We do. We do. Absolutely. And we do. Specifically, for our next guest, angles are very important because he's <laughs> You've been working pr- on that all week since we locked this <laughs> in, haven't you? I've, I'll, I'd be lying if I said I haven't put a bit of time into workshopping that, uh, that introduction because he is one of the, he is one of the preeminent uh, photographers of the beautiful game of golf uh, across the world. I, of course, speak of Gary Lisbon and he joins us on the 19th tee. Gary, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to, great to be with you. Gary, we'll start where we always do with uh, each, each and every one of our guests. Tell us about your connection to the game of golf. How did it start? How did your, your love for this great game kick off? It's a, it's a very interesting question because I followed a logical path, which was to become a chartered accountant, work in the accounting <laughs> game, play a bit of golf, and then eventually get into the, uh, the golf scene, which I did through uh, Ian Baker Finch. I worked with Ian for a couple of years and then went out on our own, my wife and I, and we started our own corporate golf-focused business, and that then led into a bunch of other stuff. And photography, specifically golf courses, was the passion that became so much more after that. How did you get into golf photography, Gary? Because playing is one thing and, and we all love to, to chase the white ball around the big field. But how did you get into taking photos of some of the world's most iconic and, and famed golf courses? Yeah, I think I, I just started taking photos. I was out playing, playing golf, took a few snaps. Some people thought they were reasonable, took a few more got some good feedback and, and, and it went from there. But I never really considered myself a golf course photographer until I got a business card printed, which is, which is what you do. Yeah, so I got a business so. card printed. That then gave me immediate credibility in my eyes anyway. And, um, and I still remember my first paid photo shoot, which was up at a place um, in tropical North Queensland called Paradise Palms. Right. Um, since gone down the way of developers, but that was my first paid photo shoot and it was uh, probably about 13, 14 years ago, quite exciting at the time, but never thought that it would get me to the stage that I've, I've got to now. When do you, was, was getting that business card when you realised that you could make a living out of golf photography and I suppose join your two passions of, of golf and photography was having that little, little card in your hand, the moment where you went, yep, this is it, this is when I can make a living out of this. Yeah, I think it's certainly, it's one phase, one part of what we do is the photography and certainly that's what uh, a lot of people know me for. We have other parts of our business like running golf holidays and organising corporate golf. So uh, photography for many years wasn't really a standalone business. I think now it's got to the point uh, where it could be a standalone business. Um, I've got uh, enough, enough clients and enough shoots around the world that uh, it could turn into that if I wanted to. But it was, I think, to answer your question, it was a progressive thing. You do one shoot, you do another shoot, you do another shoot, and it just builds up from there as any small business does. 
Gary, I want to take you back to that that first shoot, that first paid for shoot at Paradise Palm. I think you said it was thirteen or fourteen years ago. What, uh, in in your eyes and in your immediate experience, what's changed the most in the golf photography game? I imagine the ability to get up in the air with drones is probably forefront of mind, but I'm sure there are other things that have progressed as technology generally does and, and that have really changed the face of golf photography since that, uh, that, that day, 13 or 14 years ago up in tropical North Queensland. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. You've nailed it there. Drones are a, a real game changer. Uh, before we get on to drones, just technology has, has improved. The, the sensors that you're getting in digital cameras these days allow you to produce some fairly large and high quality images, um, something you couldn't really get uh, 13, 14 years ago. It was very expensive 13 or 14 years ago. It's now a lot more accessible, as you would know. But, but drones has been the real game changer for myself and probably a lot of other photographers because I think golf specifically is one of those games that you get a different perspective from the sky. You, you can see the placement of, of hazards, bunkers, etc., and you just get a fuller appreciation. It's more dramatic from the sky than it often is on the ground. How challenging is getting the right shot when uh, essentially the instrument is obviously you are controlling a remote, but the instrument is not purely in your hands. You're throwing a drone up in the elements. You go to some some pretty interesting corners of the world where I can imagine the conditions are are difficult. How how much of an interesting experience is it to put your I suppose put put yourself in the hands of a drone and throw yourself you know potentially you know hundreds of meters off the air to get the perfect shot yeah it is quite daunting especially when you're taking it out over over water in particular because if you think too much about it you're thinking what's holding this thing up in the air (laughs) and uh in the blink of an eye it could be down in the water um never to be seen again so certainly they're the they're the scary elements is um is having trust in the ability of the drone to do what it does and it does it very well in uh, in trying conditions conditions that you think might be too windy the drone handles it with a fairly um, high level of sophistication and um, smoothness in the images that you get gary i'm interested we were i was doing a bit of research on you online and there's a great deal of literature written on you and, and particularly on your website and and you were talking around your your photographic goal i suppose is to capture the essence of the golfing landscape and the spirit of the game through a camera can you talk us through that yeah. what does that mean that sounds impressive doesn't it who wrote, yeah, who wrote it does. that did you write that Some marketer yeah i probably <laughs> did about 13 14 years ago um, <laughs> i think i uh, i think i just like taking shots that people get excited about um in everything i try and do i try and capture the perspective of what the golfer may see. Now, that's not always the case. I don't always take it uh, looking down a fairway. I might be side on behind a, a green, etc. But I try and replicate what I saw at the time that I was capturing, uh, capturing the image. So golfers, we know, we get excited. We get that really tingly feeling in our stomachs when we see something that we like. And that could be standing on the seventh hole at Pebble Beach, a little par three down down the hill right up to playing the old course at St Andrews and seeing mm. the RNA clubhouse in the background as you play 18. So there's those, I suppose those tingly moments, they're the things I try and capture the, the essence of. And some days it works and plenty of days that trust me, it doesn't. Gary, the essence of photography in and of itself is that no two shots are the same. And I mentioned those um, at times pretty crazy corners of the world that you've gone to, to get shots of some amazing golf courses. So with all that in mind, what constitutes a good golf photograph? I'm sure that, you know, 
admitting that all things are different and that each day is different, each course is different, but I'm sure there are some elements that you look for to consistently apply when you're looking at a shot. So are there a couple of things that you know, if you can maybe put them all together, you'll end up with a good photograph no matter where in the world you are? Yeah, very good question. First and foremost are the weather conditions that you get. So you can't have cloudy skies. Cloudy skies, where there's just heavy cloud, you can't really see the sun, tends to really diffuse the light. And you need um, somewhat sharper light to actually get a, a nice, rich in colour shot. So, um, you know, I'm up in Sydney at the moment doing doing a shoot and we're, we're struggling because it's very cloudy skies and, and the course just looks very, very flat. It doesn't bounce, bounce out in, in any way. So... First and foremost are weather conditions. We tend to like blue skies with maybe some white puffy clouds and direct sun that, that uh, displays itself across the golf course. Uh, good golf course conditions uh, often help as well. You don't want <laughs> scarified fairways or cord greens or bunkers that have bigger footprints in them. So they're important elements as well. In terms of the framing of the shot, very important. So I like to try and get something in the foreground of a shot and lead the, um, the viewer into the shot itself. So um, that might be a bunker in the foreground. It might be a sweeping fairway. You get some plenty of courses these days that have contrasts between fairway and rough. And so that leads the golfer's eye into the shot. Uh, that, those kinds of things. I think also uh, trying to get a, a flag into the shot as well gives you a sense of perspective as to uh, how large the scene might be, because we all know how large a, um, a golf flag is. And very occasionally, I wouldn't say often, very occasionally having a golfer in the scene as well. I try and take my shots without golfers. For the, for the uh, I think the, the thing that I'm fascinated about with photography of, of any kind is that it captures a moment in time you know, literally a millisecond of time that's never to be repeated and preserves it forever do you do you stop and reflect on the you know you've taken uh, on your website you said more than 106,000 photos from 500 plus courses and in 21 countries do you ever stop and reflect and go and just consider I suppose that you are the person who took that photo that 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 will never be repeated ever again and and this is it for forever yeah very, very much so I mean I've stood on the top of sand dunes for an hour, an hour and a half, waiting for the sun to come out. You know, places like Barnbugle Dunes, where the sun was just not cooperating and patience was a real virtue there. And the sun came out for about 20, 30 seconds, captured that shot. And that's, that's what I, I remember. Same at Royal Troon, a postage stamp hole in Scotland. Famous um, hole that your, your listeners might be aware of. Mm. I rushed out to that hole. It was, it was raining all afternoon, rushed out to that hole, set up the camera, got the shot just as um, the sun came beyond a bank of cloud. And literally it was probably a 10 second window of sun, got the shot and then it bucketed down with rain and I got wet sort of uh, walking back to the hotel. So yeah, golf shots are captured. They're mom moments in time and no two moments will be the same. It's likewise when you go to a, a course, say six months apart, three months apart, different seasons, the sun is in a different position in the sky. So it's something I try and do is if I'm visiting a course on multiple occasions during the year, is that I'll try and go to the same spot and capture a similar kind of image and then compare the images 
over the, the, the months and they are all different. I think I was, I was reading online, uh, you, you wrote a piece, um, it might have been for Australian Golf Digest, where, and correct me if I'm wrong here, where you went to Barnburg, or I think it might have been Lost Farm, uh, and the conditions were no good for photography, and, and you were talking about how you waited one year. For 12 the, yeah, 12 months for the, for the photo to be just right, and, and you waited until that exact moment the, the year later, and you sort of went down and, and, got the, and got the photo. It's a patient game, isn't it, photography? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's at extremes, that 12-month scenario. That was the seventh <laughs> hole of the Dunes course, Tom's Little Devil, and I was doing a shoot of the course, and I got to that hole, I think I may have mentioned, 30, 45 minutes after I should have because the sun was a little bit too high. And, and for mm. us, it's all about sun angles. So there's what's known as a golden hour in the, in the morning, sunrise plus one hour, and then sunset minus one hour. They're the two optimal times to shoot. So... I got to this hole, it's a great hole for those listeners who, who know it, mm. and I missed the shot. So I just plugged it away in my head that, okay, if I'm going to be there again, which I was 12 months later, I needed to get to that hole at, at an hour earlier to set up. And I did, and I, it's still one of my favourite shots, that, that one. I think it's a favourite shot because of the effort that it took to capture, to capture the shot. Gary, architecture has been uh, top of mind recently, particularly with um, the passing of the legendary Pete Dye. I'm, I'm wondering if, from your perspective as a photographer, are there certain um, architects whose courses you enjoy photographing more than others? Yep, hands down. I, uh, I need to be careful how I say this, but um, <laughs> I think certain, certain with. architects... <laughs> I think architects that use use the landscape and don't contrive the the end offering are um, architects I like those that sort of have a um, a rugged kind of feel with a nice contrast between the fairway fairway and rough whether that's um, in, in sand um, sand hazards or whether it's with the the native grasses however they they define it um, they're the kinds of courses that I really like to shoot I don't like to shoot the more pretty courses um, in a sense. I like the, the natural rugged kind of stuff which you get in, uh, in Ireland, Scotland, etc. You know, some of the US stuff that I've done and um, some wonderful courses in the US like Cypress Point and so on are really, really special. In many cases, they're very, they're very American. They're very heavily watered fairways, so they're very green. The bunker sand is very, very white. <laughs> And in many ways, it looks artificial. So I like the, I like the stuff that's sort of the more natural stuff that you're getting in, uh, in Ireland, Scotland, places like Barnburgle, Cape Wickham, etc. I was very fortunate to uh, attend the President's Cup, and yeah. and I think I'd had Royal Melbourne built into my head as this this amazing golf course, and and whatever preconceptions I had around. Royal Melbourne were just absolutely blown away. It was far more spectacular than what I thought it was. But I was speaking to um, an American lady at, at a dinner that I went to and she was disappointed with the course because it wasn't that, I suppose, what you were mentioning around, you know, really lush fairways and bright green and bright, you know, white sand. It's, it is rugged and, you know, obviously the famed Dr. Alison McKenzie, you know, arguably, arguably his best work. What's, what's your thoughts on on Royal Melbourne as, and where does it sit in the, the landscape of golfing, I suppose, architecture and uh, photos that you've taken around the world? 
Oh, Royals, top top three in the world for me. I just absolutely love the place. And I, I get to play the fair fair bit, I'm fortunate in that regard. And and I just find new subtleties and nuances every time I play it. And that's the the magic of of Dr. McKenzie. He just um gives you plenty of width off the tees to be able to hit it exactly where you want. But if you're not hitting it where where you should, then you're facing a much a uh, much tougher approach shot into greens. Mm. So, you know, Royal Melbourne is is a case in point. In my eyes, it's a top five golf course in the world, hands down. Definitely. Yet yet other other people will say, well, it doesn't have any ocean backdrop or it's got no mountain backdrop or it doesn't have a fountain it doesn't have a fountain with a water, uh, a nice little pond. Um they they just don't get it in in my opinion. So uh, I think there would have been some people at the President's Cup that felt that way, but equally, I had a lot of American friends that were watching on TV contacting me just saying, how good did this place look? Yeah. And it was, it was spectacular, it really was. Gary, when you're travelling around the world to these clubs and taking these photographs, uh, what are the things that they're asking you to do? What's the end result they're hoping from your photographs and how much, if any, kind of influence do, say, club committees or club administrators have over your work? Are you given creative direction or are you given complete creative licence? Some countries of the world I'm given complete creative licence, which I, I love because they've engaged me to, to do a shoot and they probably think I know what I'm doing and uh, the end results are generally generally pretty good. Other countries, uh, when you're dealing pretty particularly through Asia, if I'll keep it as general as that, are a lot more exacting about things like deliverables and what they want. And they'll get people from head office that might go, oh, we need a shot sheet that needs to include three golfers, one leaning on their club, two leaning on the tees and the golf and the golf hole in the distance. So that's the stuff I find really, really difficult to, to deal with. And you're obviously working with a client, you try and manage that relationship but um some clubs are a lot a lot easier to deal with gary i'm really keen to to get an understanding of what your equipment is like i mean i've i've got written down on my notes that i'd love to know what your equipment's worth but if you're not comfortable in telling us that's that's absolutely okay but i just tell us about the equipment that you have to i suppose pack to to take away i'm assuming it's not the it's not the usual traveller who just throws a drone and a camera in the bag and, and away they go. You, I said, would suggest you'll be travelling with some uh, with some considerable cargo. Yeah, there's there there is some considerable cargo, but it's as as we, you mentioned earlier, technology has got to the point where you can have something that's really good quality that um, is fairly compact. So, from a, a, an on the ground perspective, I, I use Canon. I have um, Canon 5D Mark III and 5D Mark IV cameras, which are full frame sensors, and they're, they're great. And then I have three lenses, uh, predominantly a 17 to 40 mil, a 24 to 105, and a 70 to 200. So 24 to 105 is generally my go to lens. It's a fairly versatile lens that enables me to capture a wide range of shots uh, when I'm out in the field. And and then from a drone perspective, I've actually migrated to a, a great little drone, the DJI Mavic Pro 2, mm. which is, a, it's tiny. It's about the size of a, of a house brick, um, but it is just so good. The quality is wonderful. The stills are great. The 4K video is great. And importantly, it fits into a really small package. Now, the batteries are good as well. So when you're traveling around like that, you, portability is quite important. 
I know other photographers who, who I chat to from time to time, they have sort of big steel cases and they're big inspires and, and larger drones than that, that, that are just a real effort to get around. I've found that I can get um, the same kind of quality and results with, with that equipment that I've mentioned. Gary, you're not Robinson Crusoe, I imagine. When you're out on the course, there are a number of other people in your field who all uh, do take fantastic photographs. What's the camaraderie like amongst golf snappers around the world? I think it's pretty good, um, so long as we're not treading on each other's turf, so to speak. <laughs> so so um, in Australia, there's um, probably three or four sort of really good uh, photographers out there. In the, in the US, there's maybe 10 or 15. In the UK, there's probably another five or six or seven. And, uh, you know, we all respect each other's work. The, the cool thing about it is we all see scenes differently. So even though two of us might be at the same golf course at the same time, and I was at Turnbury um, a year or so ago, and I was out there shooting, and I was there with a guy called David Cannon, who I bumped into, one of the famous um, golf course, uh, golf tournament photographers legend. and also golf course photographers, real legend. He was the guy I went up in, in my first helicopter over Cowrie Cliffs many years ago. And I sort of look up to him as a real, real role model. The, the point being that he took different shots. We we're both there on the same day, but he took different shots to what I took. So we see things differently. We frame them differently. And yeah, that's, that's the way it is. So I think to answer your question, we, we have a healthy regard for, for other, other photographers uh, in the realm. And what about players? Uh, what's the experience rubbing shoulders with them? Uh, are most of them uh, respectful of the work that you're doing? I imagine some of them are even big fans. We had uh, young Aussie pro Blake Windred on the program recently, and mm. he was talking about the fact that it's one of his, one of his favourite new hobbies. He's, he's just invested in a camera and taking it with him where he goes in the world and where he plays and getting snaps is one of his favourite things to do. So uh, you have got players approaching you for, for advice or for, to purchase some of your work. What's the relationship like with players? Yeah, some players, I mean, I, I'm generally just a name, uh, Gary Lisbon, so they may not know what I look like. So if I'm out doing tournament photography, as I was during President's Cup, they wouldn't have a clue who I, who I was, but possibly if they saw one of my shots, they would. And I was on Instagram today just looking. And so, for instance, Brad Hughes, you may remember Brad was a high-level pro golfer, very good golfer. Yeah, he's now in the golf coaching sphere and he was commenting making some nice comments about a few of my photos with without probably even realizing that i grew up around the corner from him in melbourne so um i wouldn't say they come up to me and they go gary how do i take a photo they they're looking at social media they're looking online they're seeing what other people are doing they're they're then um capturing themselves as as you said blake is doing everyone's got a drone these days and putting it up in the sky taking some shots and, uh, and learning from others that are out there in the field. How has social media changed the game? We know that it's changed the game, I suppose, from a um, commercial perspective for the PGA Tour and, and all the tools around the world. But how has social media changed the photography game? I suppose probably more particularly talking about Instagram here, which has, a, which has yeah. obviously a huge, huge following and you've got a big following yourself. So how has, uh, how has social media changed it? Oh, in terms of my business, it's been an absolute game changer because 
I, I suppose the reputation I developed over the first 10 or 12 years was a lot of uh, referrals, word of mouth, that kind of stuff. One general manager talking to another general manager, they see a few of my photos in magazines, etc. But now, from an Instagram point of view, I post an image daily onto my onto my feed and I'm getting people from all around the world liking it, commenting on it, engaging with it. And that's just just keeps my name foremost in, in people's minds. So if down the line they're thinking, ah, we need to get a golf course shoot done, who do we get to do it? You know, I'd like to think that I might be one of the names that come comes up. So it's, I can, and I can directly attribute a fair bit of business over the last probably two years to my profile on Instagram in particular. Instagram's the only social media channel I use. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bloomed in the last few years, particularly with obviously Facebook taking it over always helps. Gary, I'm going to ask you two questions and they're probably two of your most hated questions that you get asked. The first is what's your favorite photo that you've taken? <laughs> okay. You knew this was going to come when you, when you agreed to have a chat. To yeah, us. What's, your, what's your favourite photo that you've taken, if you can pinpoint it? So I've got three children, and it's like asking, "What's my who's my favourite child?" Isn't it? Um, <laughs> Except you've taken one hundred and six thousand photos. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, that, that is just so so hard. But I'd probably go back to Cypress Point, fifteenth hole, par three, mm. small par three over the ocean. There's some great um, aerial stuff that. I think just really captured the whole essence of that place to use that favorite word essence mm. um, just with sort of misty fog and the green perched in amongst the, the rocks. So 15 Cypress um, is, is pretty cool. Um, some of the stuff at Kingston Heath is, is great as well in the Melbourne Sandbelt. Um, and probably in the UK, things like, wow, things like the old course, some great dramatic stuff there, even though the golf course itself is relatively flat and uninspiring. You, you get that shot into to 18 and it looks mm. pretty cool with the, the town and the clubhouse. Um, so I can't, I can't answer you directly. Um, you know, often my favourite shot might also be the effort that it took me to get it. So, for instance, that Bamboogle shot of the seventh hole, you might think, mm. oh, yeah, that's a nice shot. I knew the effort that it took to get it. So that might then jump up as to be one of my favorites. So I haven't really answered you directly. No, it's a good so answer. That's the way I, that's the way it is. It's a good answer. And um, then the next most hated question I'm sure you're going to get is what's your favorite course. You talked about Royal Melbourne being in your top three. What's your, what's your top three perhaps? Yeah, I, I keep coming back to Cypress Point. Yep. I, I love Cypress Point. Um, I love Royal Melbourne and I love Royal County Down in mm -hmm. Northern Ireland. So there's there's three pretty good courses. Pine Valley is also another one that's really, really good, but it would just do my head in to play that every day. It's just, it's just too difficult. I'll just um, end up in, in some kind of hospital, I think. It's just too... Uh, yeah, too challenging. <laughs> Gary, I'm, I'm curious, um, and, and this, may, this may be exactly the same uh, answer as what you've just given, but bearing in mind that those three courses are in three different parts of the world, is there a particular region that you enjoy travelling to most to take your photographs? There's so many good golf regions out there around the world. Uh, so the Monterey Peninsula in the US, which is where Cypress Point is, that's, that's a special place. The all throughout Scotland, whether it's the west coast of Scotland, where places like uh, Turnbury and Troon and Prestwick and Western Gales, or 
the St Andrews region over on the other side of Scotland or East Lothian, which is also on the eastern side of Scotland where Muirfield is, they're pretty cool as well. Um, Ireland, Southwest Ireland, Ballybunion, Hinch, Doonbeg, Tralee, Waterville, Old Head even, mm. uh, right up to Northern Ireland, you know, Royal County Down, Royal Portrush, Port Stewart, etc. There's just so many good, so many good places. Um, the Heathlands south of London as well, places like Sunningdale and Swinley Forest and, and so on are, are really nice. Um, even New Zealand, you know, New Zealand's mm. a pretty cool, cool place. Tara is just a special golf course. So, yeah. That, uh, You've no described the ultimate golf tour, Gary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> just <laughs> quietly. <laughs> we'll have to buy the, uh, the round the world uh, round the world ticket or uh, maybe just offer to carry your bags next time you're going to any of these places. <laughs> Gary, uh, in a similar vein, we, we loosely define golf courses into three types, being links, parkland and, and, and desert. Uh, is there one of the three that, um, that you... I suppose are more attracted to with it with the, with the camera than the others. Yeah, hands down, links courses. Even though I grew up on mm. parkland courses, if you want to call the sandbelt parkland courses, I think the links courses. It's it's where the game was born. You get such a, a variety in in the weather. Uh, you get the the unfairness of links golf um, with balls bouncing the wrong way one day and bouncing the right way the next day. I think that that for me is is it. Um, the desert courses, I haven't really, actually haven't really been to any desert courses, but Lynx courses, I think, hands down. Have there been any misdemeanors on the golf course, Gary? Have there been any shutters going off in back swings? Anything like that? Then a couple of crash drones, if you, if you want to get into <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, crash drones would be a, a misdemeanor. That, that uh, never helps. So three crash drones. Um, one... Um, two, two were my fault. One was not my fault. Do you want to so, tell that story? Uh, <laughs> what about the one that wasn't my fault? It just yeah. fell out yeah. of the sky. It was um, <laughs> down on the morning. It was gravity's fault. Flight. No, it was. It was. I was up in the sky, and uh, I then looked at the controller, and it started flashing at me, saying "damage battery," and the thing just dropped out of the sky, smashed to the ground. Oh god! And uh, thankfully, they they replaced it. The other two um, incidents, shall we say? Uh, one was at Peninsula Kingswood, uh, mm -hmm. where I was panning across. That's back when I was sort of a newbie to the whole drone thing, and I was had the video on. I was panning across and forgot that there was a tree there, and it hit the tree and dropped to the ground. Got all that on video, which was nice. And the third one actually happened only a few months ago at Concord Golf Club, where um, my wife was with me and she was acting as a spotter and we were both spotting him behind the eighth green. And uh, again, the drone was panning and it ended up caught up in a tree about 30 feet up. We then got the superintendent to come over. He got his, uh, his forklift up. He couldn't quite reach it. Got some ag pipe to try and knock it out of the sky. And then we had this great idea of why don't we just chop off the branch? So he, he then sawed off the branch. And the branch came down, so did the drone, and it smashed into 22 different pieces. So, uh, yeah, there's some nice incidents. That A couple of disasters. Exactly right. Exactly. You, you spoke about you've, you've visited 500-plus courses. Um, I imagine there's probably not many courses left in the world that you, you really want to shoot. But what's, what's the one place that you want to go to, to and, 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 for, and photograph for the world? 
yeah, I'm going to Canada this year and I've mm -hmm. never been to Canada. So I'm excited about seeing those courses. So places like Cabot Cliffs yes. and Cabot Links. Stunning. Um, yeah, magic. Um, also haven't, I've played a, a number of the Long Island courses out, out of New York, like Shinnecock National Maidstone, mm -hmm. but never photographed them. So I'm very excited about doing that this year. And, uh, and also a little place in Nebraska called Sand Hills which um amazing again, golf course yeah, yeah core crenshaw course in the middle of nowhere so that's sort of apparently the uh the the driveway is just as spectacular as uh magnolia drive heading up is what i've heard so i'd be i'm very keen to see your photos from uh, from sand hills yeah it's uh, it's gonna be an exciting exciting trip a long trip but an exciting one and I think aside from that, um, maybe South America, although I don't have a really strong desire to go there. Yep. Um, and maybe a bit more through Japan. I've done a little, little bit in Japan, but I'd like to go back there again. And the rest of the, you know, there's pockets of the US that I haven't haven't been. But in the main, you're right, I'm fortunate I've travelled around a fair bit. <laughs> Gary, just one final one before we let you go. You have been incredibly generous with your time. I'm, I'm wondering what your relationship with the game is like now as a player. You know, you've been you've been travelling the world as a photographer and, and I'm sure squeezing in rounds wherever you can for the last or well, best part of uh, 15 years. But you often find when people are doing the same thing day in, day out, and they're always on a golf course, that maybe the passion as a player can wane. Has, has the photography and how hard you've worked and all the travel you've done, has it, has it affected your relationship with the game as a player at all? And do you still have that great passion with the clubs in hand rather than the camera? I have a passion with the clubs in hand if I'm focused on on the game. Where I fall down is if I'm playing at, say, a course that is a nice course overseas and I'm hitting off in the morning or in the afternoon, sort of late afternoon, and I'm seeing the scenes before me that I should be out taking photos rather than playing golf. That's when I fall down. But if I sort of push that aside and I go, hey, I'm here, I'm playing this wonderful golf course, Royal County Down, just enjoy it for the course that it is rather than with my photographic uh, lens, lens on. So I'm finding I'm playing less golf, but when I'm doing it, I'm doing it in, in spurts. So I might be playing seven or eight games here or there and then go through a hiatus for, for a month or, month or two. So I need to separate the photography from the golf and then I find I'm the happiest. If I try and combine the two, then it falls down on both fronts. Well, I would highly recommend to any of our listeners who aren't already following Gary Lisbon Golf on Instagram to do so. I, I, I truly enjoy, I know that Nathan does as well, Gary, the daily, the daily upload. I, I don't know, whatever time of the day it comes through, depending on what part of the world you're in, I'm always hanging out for it because it gives me that, that little probably two or three minute a chance to run away with my thoughts and dream of playing <laughs> any of those courses one day. So at Gary Lisbon golf is you on Instagram, but if people want to reach out, whether it's to, I suppose, engage you for some work, maybe they want to buy a couple of your prints, even talk to you about your other businesses. Where can we find you, Gary? A couple of areas. Um, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I have a, a good website, golfphotos.com.au. So there you can purchase photos from 500 odd courses and they'll be printed and shipped to you in any size shape or form that you like so that'll that'll work well if you're thinking about a golf holiday to any of the exotic places around the world that i may photograph then our sister company golf select uh, so golfselect.com.au we can help you 
in that regard. But um, thanks for the, the opportunity to have a chat about something that I absolutely love doing. And I'm glad that you get some enjoyment out of it as well. No, thank you, Gary. You've been generous with your time. As you said, we, we truly enjoyed having you on the 19th tee. Hopefully not for the last time. We'd love to have a chat to you when you're back from Canada because as uh, as Nath said, there's a couple of those photos uh, and that I'm sure you'll take better ones, but the, the substandard ones that you haven't taken, Gary, that I've seen are still fantastic. So, <laughs> no, Believe you me, it, you only see the good stuff. So there's, there's certainly some substandard <laughs> stuff. Let's get it right. Never. No. <laughs> Thanks so much, Gary, and we'll uh, look forward to having you on again in, in the future. Wonderful. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Nathan.